Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us once again here at Red Ice. I'm Henrik. If you're new, check out RedEyes.tv and RedEyesMembers.com. We have another interview for you lined up today, none other than Jared Taylor, one of our finest from uh, American Renaissance, joining us here today. Jared, always a pleasure. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, you bet. It's great to see you again. And uh, I know you're, uh, you're very busy, so I appreciate your time. You're gearing up for another conference, which is actually this weekend. Now, I yes. try to make arrangements, get actually Stephen McNallan on in initially, who's one of the speakers, of course, yes. uh, to plug at the conference a little bit. Now, that didn't pan out quite, so I thought, let's bring on Jared last minute here and plug the conference a little bit. Do you want to say a couple of words about it right out the gates here, maybe? Well, certainly. Uh, it is, there's still time to register. Our things are getting very tight. The conference will begin, registration begins, uh, physical registration, at 5 p.m. on Friday. And this will be in Tennessee, in the beautiful state park, Montgomery Bell State Park. But if you sign up on the webpage now, uh, you'd have to pay at the door. But uh, we could probably get uh, name tags ready for you, certainly if you register by Thursday. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to fit you in. I think, uh, as you can see on the screen, uh, Frody is so good at all of this uh, media manipulation screens and talking at the same time. Uh, I don't know how he has all this bandwidth. But you see here Sam Dixon. Uh, he's, uh, he's our standard closer. Uh, Ricardo Duchesne. I'm very pleased we're having him. He is a very smart and gutsy guy. He was a professor in Canada for, I believe, more than 20 years, and he was forced out of his job for defending Western civilization and for explaining why the civilization that white people built is unique, why it deserves to be preserved, and why only white people can carry it forward. And uh, he's written remarkable books, uh, something that one I think is most famous is the uniqueness of Western civilization. So right, he book. is going to be at uh, our conference for the very first time. Have you ever interviewed him, by oh, the yeah, way? Oh, yeah, several times. He's great. His yeah. first book is uh, magnificent. I think he has yes. a follow-up that we didn't talk in detail about, but uh, he's great. Mm -hmm. Love, Ricardo. Yes, uh, yes. So I'm very excited. It'll be his first appearance, and I have never actually met him. So I'm very, very much looking forward to this. Right. Uh, James Edward, uh, as you see in the picture underneath him, probably uh, you uh, know him very well. He has now been in uh, radio business for 19, his 19th year. I remember when he started off, I thought, here's a promising young guy, and let's see how long he lasts. <laughs> wow. And he's going strong. Yes, he's like you, Hedrick. Well, there you go, exactly, right? So, That's I think right. I know That's almost right. competitive, not quite 19 yet, but we're getting there. Give us, give it yeah. a couple more years and we're there. Yes, yes. Really talented people who are dedicated. He reminds me of you in that respect. Hedrick, you could have had a great career, I think, on commercial TV, broadcasting, and uh, James Edwards the same way. A very talented guy who can talk eloquently. He's got a perfect radio voice. None of this uh-uh stuff. He could have had a great career. Both of you could have. And we're so lucky to have people like you on our side. So it's great to have him. He has spoken before. And uh, then, of course, uh, Gregory Hood. Uh, I think in his own way, Gregory Hood is, is, is a genius. Uh, yeah, the way he writes, the, the insights he has, the perspectives that he has from so many different directions. He has such a remarkable store of historical knowledge. And he remembers so many things and dates that if something comes up, he can put it into context in a way that is so insightful. Uh, here's another guy, a really brilliant writer. He could have gone places in the mainstream if he'd wanted to, but no, he followed where his duty dictated that he go. So he will give a great talk. It turns out he is as much a genius behind the podium as he is at the keyboard. So we are really, really lucky to have him. He's our star writer in American Renaissance. He'll give a great talk. And then Stephen McNallan, uh, it will be his first appearance at an American Renaissance conference. I've heard him speak before. He is a spellbinding guy. Very, very inspiring. And uh, although, of course, he is best known for Asatru, for Norse religion, he is very much a defender of Western man, European man. And those of you who are Christians, who may think that he's got some sort of hostility, no, 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 don't worry about that at all. He sees the big picture. For him, Asatru is the answer, but he does not at all draw any kind of hostile lines. He's really a, a 
a great guy. He's written several books, and it'll be his first appearance, so I'm really looking forward to hearing his talk. Yeah, And uh, then uh, Ruben Kellop. He, when he first spoke at an American Renaissance conference, as I recall, he was only 20 years old. He was the youngest person ever to speak at a conference. And since then, we've had, we have invited him back several times, but he was unable to, be, to come because he refused to get the jab. He refused to go through the COVID humiliation and invasion of his body. And so he was unable to come, but he gave us some video addresses. This time, I will be delighted to present him in person. He is the founder of a youth movement in, I should have said, uh, he's, he's from Estonia, first of all. And uh, he has been, he has served in parliament. He is part of the People's Conservative Party there. They've actually had a role in parliament. It is remarkable that some of these Eastern European countries actually have healthy nationalist parties that serve in government. Yeah. And uh, he is an excellent speaker. He'll give a great talk. Uh, then I guess the next guy there, uh, I'll pass over guy? him. <laughs> yeah, uh, the guy with the funny mustache. Uh, but then, then uh, uh, the next guy, Dries van Lagenhoff. It'll be his first appearance also. He was going to come before, but he too refused to get a vaccination. He is coming from Belgium. When he was elected to the Belgian Senate, I believe that was in 2020, he was the youngest person to serve. And now, after having served, he has decided that he can be more effective, have more influence, do more good for our people outside of government than within government. Most of the time, when people who think our way manage to get themselves elected, whether it's a, uh, uh, usually that happens only in Europe, doesn't ever seem to happen in the United <laughs> States, uh, then they stay. But he thinks that he can be even more effective outside of government. He is a young charming, eloquent guy. He'll give a great talk. He's going to be our after-dinner speaker, and I think he'll be a huge, huge addition to the program. And then finally, Keith Woods. Here's another guy. It'll be his first time at an American Renaissance Conference. He, too, is a, he's a young, dynamic. It, uh, uh, he's a patriot from Ireland. And I first became aware of how briskly Ireland is committing suicide when I visited it's, earlier this year. It's, it's going terrible. fast. Yep. Boy, it's just this tiny country. Yeah. And if any country ever had the right to tell people, stay out, surely it's Ireland. Ireland was itself colonized. Ireland doesn't owe anything to anybody except to the own, to its own Irish people. Yeah. And then to have the leaders of this country, now they've got a, a half Indian guy who is the Tish, at the Taoiseach, the equivalent of the prime minister. They're all just multicultures to be as, as can be. I was in Ireland on the day before Valentine's Day. And to my astonishment, when I saw the cover of the Irish Times, I just practically stepped off the plane. I'm walking around in Ireland for the first time. And there is a big story called Ignite Your Love Life. And the illustration is a pair of very black, black person's lips about to kiss the lovely plump pink lips of a white woman. This is how the Irish are being told to ignite their love lives. Good grief. Irish TV is almost as bad as American TV. All of these non-whites and uh, the Irish are, uh, a lot of them are not putting up with this. In any case, Keith Woods is a very eloquent defender of Irish nationalism, Ireland for the Irish, and I'm very much looking forward to his message as well. So, yes, all of your listeners, all of your viewers, you can still register, but please do so quickly, and uh, we can probably whip up a name tag for you, but you'll have to be prepared to pay at the door. It's going to be a great conference. And I think there's nothing like being a room full, two or 300 people, all of whom understand. Uh, I will never forget uh, a fellow who came to maybe it was second or third American Renaissance conference. And he walks in and he says, it's so great to be among the living. And uh, that is the feeling. Uh, I think you can, uh, you can second that. I uh, can. Henrik. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah. Just a wonderful feeling. Absolutely. In any case. Re yes. Reinvigorating so many good people. It's very it's yes. very positive yes. and, you know, right. a lot of doers as well. People that not just, you know, armchair uh, whiners at the, key <laughs> at the keyboard. Like, we need some of those occasionally as well. But a lot of people yes. that, you know, actually want to go do something. Meet people, network, build community, yep. talk about ideas, yep. talk about solutions, right? That's incredibly important. So, yeah, That's guys, right. Amarin.com. Uh, just scroll down on the right-hand side. You have the, uh, the direct link to the program, uh, to the conference page you could say uh, and you have all the details there how to register uh please do so if you can it's always a good time at an american renaissance conference so uh, thank you for putting those together as well jared i mean that your work of just doing this and and the consistency throughout the years as well i mean thank you for just doing what you're doing because you're one of well, our best as i say i truly truly oh, mean that oh gosh well thank you for this opportunity to talk about the conference and uh no you know that we hold you in very very high regard of course Thank you, Jared. Did you want to say a couple of words? Did you ever have Richard Lynn at the conference? Yes. Um, he yes, passed yes, away. Richard Was it uh, a month, two months ago, something like that? Right. Not, not, not even, not even two months not ago. Even. Perhaps okay. as much as a month ago. Uh, what? When is that dated? July twenty-first. Yep. Yes, yep. that was just a few days after he died. Yes. yes, Richard Lynn spoke at two conferences. He was one of the really great scientists, great, brave scientists, willing to follow the data wherever it went. And it was, I remember discovering him, oh gosh, must have been at least 20 years ago. And he was the first person who called to my attention the IQ testing of East Asians, suggesting that they have a higher average IQ than, uh, than Caucasians. But in any case, he was a guy, he was prepared to study the data, draw the conclusions, gather the data, and he became the foremost researcher in IQ differences of groups, whether they be national groups within countries, national groups within races, different racial groups within the same country, men, women, uh, Northern Italians as opposed to Southern Italians. He is really the pioneer in doing serious, serious work on that. And of course, his results were extremely unpopular. And he took an enormous amount of criticism for the work he did. And one of the things that I admired most about him, aside from his commitment to the truth and commitment to following the right conclusions from the data available, was his general cheerfulness and kindness. I don't know how many conversations we had in which he very patiently explained to me, a non-scientist, the nuances and the complications of the kind of work he was doing. I'm glad to report that he had a number of protégés, and they're going to maintain the kind of studying that he was doing. Uh, by the time he, he was older, he had a certain amount of money that he was able to use for grant purposes. He was uh, running the Pioneer Fund at, uh, at one point, and he had a certain uh, resources of his own that he was using very judiciously to keep young, promising researchers bold as he was in business. And so he was doing all of this work right up until he died. He died at age 93. He was still publishing books in his 90s, in his 90s. This is just extraordinary. And one of his protégés, Emil Kierkegaard, counted up all of his publications. And if you include scientific papers, magazine articles, he came to nearly 500. Hmm. The fact is, wow. Emil Kierkegaard wasn't aware of the articles that uh, Richard Lynn wrote under a pseudonym for American Renaissance. He wrote at least 20 articles under the pseudonym of Hippocrates. He was our science editor back in the print years of American Renaissance. Hmm. So we have this special attachment to Richard Lynn as well. And uh, I suppose when someone is in his 90s, you should not be surprised when he died. Right. Yeah. But, but still, I had been in email contact with him. He was his usual cheerful self. When the new year came around, we exchanged New Year's New Year's greetings. He sent me even uh, a poem of Wordsworth's uh, about about the new year and said that this this captured some of his sentiments. And I really didn't realize that he was fading. But apparently he died very peacefully in, uh, with his wonderful wife by his side. And, uh, uh, but still, I, was, I just wasn't prepared for it. It was a real shock. And, you know, as I get older myself, 
I realized one of the great things about being young is that your friends don't die. (laughs) (laughs) But as you get older, people that you've known, in this case, in in Richard Lynn's case, for more than 20 years, uh, I consider him, he was was, uh, a generation somewhat older than I, but still, uh, I felt that he was a, a real friend, a real colleague, and I'm still not, not quite accustomed to thinking that uh, Richard Lynn is gone. Right. But there he is, that photograph is of Richard Lynn at an American Renaissance conference. Uh, he was always cheerful. He had this kind of pixie-like appearance. Uh, he was not a big man, uh, kind of a, almost, almost elfin. Uh, in his cheerfulness and in his demeanor, but really just a wonderful, wonderful man. And I can't tell you how how sad I am that another another one of the great, great men on our side has has uh, gone to his reward. Yeah. yeah. So rest in peace, Richard. Uh, That's but uh, he was he was a great warrior for the truth, and uh, I think there will be few like him to come. I hope there will be many, but yes. I fear there will be only a few. Yes, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of, I mean, fantastic and brave people out there still, you know, the, the yes. giants in their own right. And of course, it's, it, right. we have to stand on their shoulders, as they say. And, and, and Lynn is one of those who at least yeah. uh, pioneered uh, the, a path forward and a way into these subjects and stuff. Do you, do you know if he was, was he ever stripped of any kind of like yes. academic he was, well, like, just like uh, the geneticists, right? Uh, he was quick. not not stripped in quite the way you would imagine. He had been at the University of Ulster at Coleraine. He was the head of the psychology department. He was, of course, a very prominent but controversial scientist. And after he retired, he was given emeritus status. Well, at one point, there were so many protests by students complaining about how racist he was that the university buckled to this kind of pressure and did an ignoble thing that universities almost never do, and they stripped him of his emeritus status. I think as a practical matter, it meant that he couldn't use any university facilities, but it wasn't as though he was being paid, but still, right. this was like this is like spitting on someone's grave. He's no longer even on campus, but they've got to insult him by stripping him of this honored status that he gained by his many, many years of contribution to uh, the University of Ulster at Coleraine. But... Uh, while he was an active academic, no, he took a lot of criticism, but he was never, and they never tried to run him off the campus and certainly never stripped him of any kind of emoluments or titles or anything. All right, I'm glad to hear that at least. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, he, he, these are, these are uh, uh, trailblazers, as it were. That's, yes. I think that's the best uh, term for them, really. The that's, pra- that's, that's exactly right. And uh, I think one of the, well, also he really is, the discoverer of what's called the Flynn effect, right? And, yes. uh, and it's it's uh, it's called the Flynn effect after James Flynn of the University of Oswego in uh, in New Zealand. But it was really Richard Lynn who discovered that uh, over the years people are scoring higher on IQ tests, and. IQ tests have to be renormed every so often so that the average score is 100 and the IQ tests are getting more and more difficult, or at least they were up until perhaps 10 years ago. And this idea that somehow people are scoring better on IQ tests, does it mean they're really any smarter? Uh, I, I don't think there's any evidence for that. And in fact, as Richard Lynn documented, there is dysgenic fertility. That is to say, the smarter people around the world, and in particular societies, the smarter people are having fewer children than the less intelligent people. So genetically, there is no question that our race, our species is degenerating in terms of intelligence. But we have become apparently more clever at taking IQ tests. In any case, he was very modest about this. The fact that the, the phenomenon was named after, after someone else, he said, well, the fact of the matter is, if you're going to be accurate about it, it shouldn't be called the Lynn effect. It should be called the Tudnam 
effect because there was a fellow by the name of James Tudnam who discovered that between the First World Wars, you had to renorm the IQ tests because the people in the Second World War were scoring, scoring so much higher by the old standards than the people in the First World War. So this has hmm. been something that had been noticed in the past. But I thought it was, I thought it was, on the one hand, very gentlemanly of Flynn, for whom the uh, phenomenon has become named, to himself recognize that Lynn talked about it before he did. And then Lynn, in his own gentlemanly way, said, well, no, the fact is the name should be Tudnam. So it was a very gentlemanly and, uh, I think, uh, kind of wasp exchange all around. <laughs> nice. Very nice. <laughs> Love that. All right. Good uh, good, uh, good times. Uh, we're, we're glad he was here, and we thank him for his work. Uh, we certainly do. Indeed. Thank you, Richard. All right. So um, I do want to dive into this change topic here a little bit in, in, in terms of some of the things that's happening out there. And it's always... I think pertinent when it's back in the news again, and I'm glad it is, but uh, in terms of what's happening to the white farmers, the boar in South Africa, mm. and talk about the recent flare-up of yet another singing of this uh, song, Kill the Boar, by uh, yes. Malema, who's the leader of the EFF, right? The Elmset uh, Electronic, the Economic uh, Freedom uh, Forum. Is that, was that right? Freedom uh, fight, fighters. fighters, that's right, the fighters. Yes. Um, Truly fighters, right? Uh, so as you can see, a huge stadium. Yes. I mean, tens of yes. thousands of people were there, and they're singing how to kill the white people. And this flares up on social media a little bit, mainstream media, and the West picks up on it. And it's in its usual snarky kind of way, it, it dismisses it and says, this is really nothing to this. This is kind of yes. silly. Uh, but then, of course, what happened in following this uh, is we had an uptick in uh, farm murders uh, right yes, away. Surpri surprisingly, because, of course, the very same media would continuously argue that uh, if, uh, if, for example, white people heighten their rhetoric and talk about, like, we don't want immigration or replacement is bad or open borders is detrimental to us, they argue that that's going to lead to violence and we have to be silenced right. effectively, right? But in right. this case, they look the other way. It's, it, this is a canary in the coal mine for, I think, where we all are going in Western countries unless we change our trajectory, Joe. Yes, yes. Uh, I read a New York Times article. Uh, they, they finally were forced to write about this because this video was circulating so widely. And Elon Musk, God bless him, he tweeted about this and he said, this is an open call for genocide. So, well, yes, the New York Times uh, decided to pick this up. But they interviewed all of these so-called African experts who said, oh, no, 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 this has nothing to do with actual violence. This was uh, a, a battle cry for the anti-apartheid people that goes back decades, and it's only about overthrowing an unjust system. Has nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with any individual violence. What? what it's just incredible, especially when the, as, uh, as you would, as we could hear if you had the sound on, Julius Malema, he is not just singing the words, kill the boor. He's making machine gun sounds. He's going, brrr, brrr, and then he's saying, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. This is no joking stuff. And of course, uh, you probably know that uh, there was a court encounter in which uh, he was asked by a judge, well, you have talked about perhaps massacring white people. Can you promise that you would never advocate doing this? He says, no, I can't promise that. It depends on the circumstances. And uh, the New York Times, of course, says, oh, no, no, this is all just uh, gets their spirits up and they can fight the injustice of apartheid. And uh, then, of course, uh, you're aware that... Uh, the uh, yeah, here he is. Here he is. He, he's telling the judge, uh, uh, "No, I'm not going to make you any promises. It depends on the circumstances. It might be necessary to massacre all these white people." How can I know what I will do in the future? I think he said, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> time preference right. is a little bit in question there, but yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I, but you got to you got to hand it to him. Here's a guy who uh, sticks to his guns, so to true. speak. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yes, yep. but I'm sure that is the secret of his enormous popularity. They're, they're now, I believe, uh, uh, the, the, the second most popular opposition party. I know uh, he's got a very substantial following. And that stadium, good grief, as you say, how many tens of thousands of people are likely to have been there? There's certainly no one on our side who could fill a stadium like that. Nope. Look at this. Not Look yet. at this. 
Whew, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. It's uh, coming. <laughs> well, yes, we, we, we have some young guys who are certainly, oh, there he is making his, making his gun fist there. Uh, yes. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. Incredible. Okay, Julius. No, we realize it's just all a big joke. Yep, New York uh, Times picked it up, and then they were forced to admit, right? This is just another uh, another uh, family here that, that that suffered. I think it'd been six or maybe eight. I forget the exact number now, actually. And it's you know hard to know as well because it's not always reported in the media that no. makes it international. But uh, no. yeah, so after this event, calling for the murder of white farmers, you have number of uh, these uh, killings ticking up. Yes, media denies it, and then say, oh, for some reason, New York Times said the headline. For some reason, these farm murders is becoming a flashpoint for, you know, far-right bigots and, and, and racists for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I wonder why. wonder how they would react if the, if the uh, tables were turned, you know? Oh, no, it's incredible. As you say, as you say, they get upset if you simply say, well, there's a great replacement going on. Ooh, that's going to get terrorists shooting. But when you get these blacks, tens of thousands saying, kill them, shoot them. Oh, no, no. No, that's just youthful hijinks. Yeah. Incredible. And especially, as you note, uh, I saw a report that was uh, filed, I think, five days after this uh, event in the stadium. And they had listed three separate attacks that had taken place immediately after this event of, of, of kill the boar. Yeah. But the New York Times, uh, they're, they're just not going to believe it. Either they no. will not report it or they won't believe it or they will downplay it. Oh, They'll debunk it. Yeah, they'll cover for it. Uh, they will somehow just look the other way and kind of pretend that it's, it's almost like it's, they, they think it's justified or something because of yes, perceived crimes. That's exactly right. Yeah. They think, if anything, it's justified. Yeah. And one of the phrases in the New York Times article that particularly struck me, they said that uh, uh, the economic freedom fighters, this is a party that forcibly wants to take the land from white people and give it to blacks. Yeah. And yeah. so this adds a certain concern to some white people when Julius Malema sings this kill the boot. Some white people. <laughs> I guess only only completely hopped up idiot racists like you and me would have have any sense of worry that here this guy is he, he wants to take away the land from white people and he says shoot the shoot to kill and he does not ever promise that in the future he would not recommend or encourage the massacre of whites. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's so insidious. And again, it's a case study. It's it's more than that. It's not a study for us. This is you know existential because we're seeing where this is going. But right. I'm saying just from a you know cold kind of not academic, but like just reading the situation point of view, uh, it's clear that we can see that this is what happens when when white people becomes a minority. And even if it's perceived crimes or actually happened or didn't, whatever it is. They're not granted the same rights as white people have granted to other minority groups in our countries, no. in our civilization. Uh, no, and in fact, no. it turns violent very, very quickly. They're to blame for everything. And yes. despite the fact that apartheid has been ended now for, what is it, third, 30 years? What is it? Yes, something 1989, like that. yes. Yeah, something to that effect. 80, 84, I guess. 1984, uh, 94 was the election. Right. Yes, it's yeah. close, to, close to 30 years now. And it's but, still you know, this. Every, yes, the, everything, everything that goes wrong in that society, it's the legacy of apartheid. That's right. The legacy of apartheid. Yep. The New York Times, this is this is practically uh, a, the chorus of uh, the African correspondence. It's the legacy of apartheid. No, you really wonder. I mean, and you see this all around the world. Uh, or oh, the French riots, for example. Right. They yeah. had their first Arab race riot in 1997. And they've kept having them. And you wonder, when are they going to learn? But then you take the United States. When do we have our first race riot? Good grief. I don't know. Certainly in the 1960s and probably before that too. And you wonder, when are white people going to learn? Yeah. I hope at the very least that the white people who live in Hungary and Estonia and Czechoslovakia, well, not the Czech Republic and Slovakia, Slovak, that at least they will learn at least they are paying attention because it doesn't seem to make any difference how many billions of dollars of destruction, how many hundreds of people are killed or wounded, and white people living in the West do not seem to be capable of learning the fact that multiracial societies are going to fail. Yeah.
That's right. Yeah, it's definitely a point I want to lead up into here a little bit later. What do we, uh, is this ever going to end? Uh, what do we do? You know, kind of thing here. But uh, to continue to t- talk about the problem a little bit more here. Uh, yeah, so you, have the, so you have the continued killings. It ticks up. It, it, it becomes kind of a, a thing in the media, on social media for a while. But then it kind of, you know, dies down a little bit, right? Uh, but you have this issue then of like, this this is continuing. It's just we're not hearing yes. about it as much. We That's have the right. issue of... Just take the, the issue of how many South uh, South Africans, Afrikaners, are seeking refugee status in many Western countries and are denied. Yeah. Here we have an obvious right. situation where the uh, the front door of our countries is essentially wide open if they happen to be from the third or second world in some regards. But if they come from countries yes. like South Africa, the door is closed. They deny many applications uh, and, and there's just no way for these people to get. It's like they're trapped. It's, it's like yes. they wanted this to happen to them. Oh, oh, I, I think at some level there are people in authority in Western countries who think this is exactly what they deserve, that they deserve to be massacred because of the horrible, horrible things they did to black people. I have never heard of a single South African receiving refugee status anywhere, anywhere. Have you? I've heard only of denials. Now, I believe there was a time when uh, farmers from Zimbabwe they were being welcomed in Eastern Europe. Uh, I don't know for how long that went on. I believe some of them might have been in, in Ukraine. Some of them might have been in, in Poland. This was just a little sort of blip on the news. But at least they had they had farming skills. They were being kicked out of the country that they had turned into a wonderful, well-run, white-run society. And, of course, we know what happened to Zimbabwe, the former Rhodesia. Yeah. And to me, it is quite incredible. Well, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by anything. There's so much vitriol against whites that somebody like Julius Malema doesn't seem to realize that if what he proposes actually comes true, if whites are driven off the land, then every aspect of the economy will become just like the power company. South Africa, as you probably know, is the only country in the world that is more than meeting its goals to reduce carbon emissions. It's doing that, of course, because it can't keep the electricity generating. That's going. right. Yep. So it's the it's the champion. It's the champion of uh, reducing carbon emissions. That's hooray, how you do hooray. it. Hooray. <laughs> you shut down industry, or you start yeah. killing people, or maybe both. How about that? Yes. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, yes. And of course, they're and going after farmers, right? Which is also one of the aspects that they're targeting now, because it's too many yes. cow farts and too much, you know, fertilizers and things like that. So it's basically like just to get rid of this reported carbon, which is the big boogeyman right now. You have to just get rid of humans, I guess, is the best way That's to right. do it. But you see, they would never suggest that, suggesting that some of these super reproducing countries like Niger and Mali and uh, uh, Burkina Faso, that instead of having six children, maybe they should be content with two. Right. No, 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 that would be that would be ugly. That would be awful because they're black people. Uh, no, 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 we have to have as, as many people as possible. And we have to bring as many of them into the West so that they can produce even more carbon and greenhouse gases than they would if they stayed home. No, they're all of these patent, spectacular contradictions in the things the left proposes that that they never have to defend because practically no one ever points it out to them. Yep, exactly. It's true. And the the failure of aid as well. I mean, we've talked about that before, just of how much money is yes. being poured into Africa. And I think, uh, you know, one of the screenshots, and the EU is the biggest contributor. I've shown this in the past couple of shows now, guys, so I do apologize if it's redundant, but I think it's a good point to bring up here with Jared as well. Uh, the EU and its member states are the biggest donor to the African continent, approximately 20 billion euros a year in development aid is directed to Africa. And yes. so you have you have that World Food Program, and you basically have a, a, us being in a situation where we also help to feed these people. It's actually interesting with with Russia, who I found an old story from 2018 where they welcomed apparently 15,000, uh, and they say African refugees here, but the prim- primarily I think there was the Boer, right? So Russia is one of the countries that have opened at least to some of them, which is interesting. Yes. But yes. uh, but Putin most recently had a press conference where he talked about how they're going to give free grain to Africa now and going to give there was a number of countries he was rattling off and stuff and it's almost like this since when did it become our responsibility to to feed an entire continent and and is it not better to teach these people how to do it themselves right we have tried we have tried and we have failed yeah. and we dare not let them starve 
you know, the I don't know if you've been following this uh, coup d'etat that took place in Niger. Yes. I guess that was maybe 10 or 12 days ago now. Well, uh, I was reading some of the reports on that country. Half of its government budget is from foreign aid. There you go. Half. Yep. Half the budget. <laughs> Good grief! And uh, th this is this is we're we're thinking that this is an important American ally in the region, and this place is hanging on for dear life, purely suckling at the teat of generous white people. This is our great ally in the region, and it's going to how how we're going to conquer ISIS and Boko Haram. The, these utter incompetence. And now, uh-oh, it looks like they're going to be friendly with Mali, and they're going to be friendly with Burkina Faso, and they're friendly with the Russians. So, oh my yep. goodness, what's going to happen now? And they used to be friendly with the French, but they've kicked out the French. Oh boy. And uh, just the, the, the pathetic situations we get ourselves into, thinking that we're going to feed the world, save the world, yeah. turn all these people into good little Europeans. I mean, it reminds me of the 20 years, 20 years we spent uh, saving people, saving the Afghans and the Taliban. And now they're right back where they were, right back where they were. Yeah. We have this idea. We go in there, we shoot enough people, and then the ones who survive are going to be Jeffersonian Democrats, <laughs> and, the, and the women and the women will, will want to wear bikinis. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they, they literally, it was one of those courses. I saw it. It was Americans were down there. I think it was part of the military. They were going to teach these Taliban women like uh, they literally brought in uh, uh, Richard, Ricard, what's his name again? Uh, uh, Ducamp, Ricardo Ducamp, what's his name? Who did the the urinal, like one of the first like pieces of oh, modern Duchamp. art. Oh. Duchamp, yeah. Uh, they brought that the urinal, or pictures of it, into what? this meeting with them to show them like modern art. And it was like all these women were looking around, these Taliban women, and it's just like, what 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 are they? Tr what is this? Did they think they're gonna, you know, become a good little, I guess, uh, cultural Marxist right away and and suck up, you know, some kind of socialist anti-white doctrine or so? I don't know what well, they're trying, but obviously this is a, a, an abysmal failure of you know, every I, level. I, I think you probably remember that. Uh, I think it was just days before Kabul fell, the American embassy was promoting Gay Pride yes. Week. Yes. They're tweeting out these multicolored flags in the society that hates homosexuals. And of course, it's going to hate any country that promotes homosexuality. And then we had some lady spokesman from the State Department who was responsible uh, for uh, Afghanistan. And he was, she was saying, well, what these Afghan ladies need is black girl magic, black girl <laughs> magic. <laughs> and she cited, I, I think maybe Lizzo, oh, this this fat twerker, and a few of these pop stars that cavort around, displaying their fatness in these tiny tight outfits. And <laughs> Afghan women are supposed to turn their lives around through black girl magic. Good <laughs> lord, you and I could do a better job of, of of trying to transform that country if we had any desire to do so. Right. These people are certified idiots. Yeah. But they are so enslaved to this to this crazy ideology of homosexuality, sexually confused people, black people that we must worship no matter how fat and untalented they are, that they can't even get it straight trying to persuade these people to change in any way. I'm rooting for the Afghans. I'm Ex absolutely. The, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's their society. Yes, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, it's it, as long as they're in their countries, I'm, I'm fine with yes. it. You know, I mean, being there, you know, have your culture preserve all that. Do you think could it be some weird uh, that they think because this was very successful in the West to break up the family, and again, a lot of consequences on that. Everything yes. from then less people ultimately, which is what we talked about, is one thing. At least they're achieving that in the West, but then they have this yes. weird double standard where it's like, oh no, the third world, we have to increase population That's almost. Right. It's That's the opposite, right? right? But mm -hmm. Uh, or is it something, it's breakdown of the family, loss of control, more government dependence. There's like this cascading effect from basically yeah. turning this uh, LGBTQ propaganda into, uh, into a kind of a state religion almost of sort. Yes. There's benefits for the controllers for that. That's what I think. You know, I don't, I'm not sure how they think it benefits even themselves. It gives them jobs. How many people really genuinely think that they're 
thousands of people out there trapped in the wrong body and we are oppressing them terribly and we've been oppressing them for thousands of years and now finally we have the technology to liberate them and turn boys who think they're girls into girls and vice versa. I, I, I suppose there are people who make money doing the surgery, there are people, the people who make money doing the counseling, but what motivates all of this? Right. And uh, it, it's very hard to say. And to march into a traditional society like Afghanistan and tell them they've got to love homosexuals and they've got to learn to take uh, take the hijabs off. They've got to learn to parade around in miniskirts, I suppose. A lot of those people, they take one look at the West and the way women dress in the West, the way we adore the people who are the most unproductive and in many cases the most repulsive people in society. They're going to say, to hell with this. And they are not going to take seriously anything you said, even if you explain to them how to purify water, for example, they're not going to believe you. If at the same time, you're waving the homo flag. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just so utterly and completely inept. Yeah, when people look at statistics such as this, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for this, and you can even get into, well, who did they ask and where and so forth. But yeah. anyway, it's just showing, to summarize it quick, the incredible increase of those yes. who identified as, I suppose, you know, supported LGBTQ in some kind of way. 7.2% uh, yes. of the U.S. adult uh, population yeah. identifies LGBT, but at, at Generation Z there, you can see it's almost 20%. And yes. the, uh, the people who want to turn this into a state religion argue, well, as you said, Oh, it's just because now it's permitted. So the, it's mm. always been this many, but now That's it's right. that they're allowed to do it. So now all of them That's are coming right. forward kind of thing. I, I don't buy that for a second, to be honest. Well, you know, one of the arguments that uh, I think is probably factual and insightful is the number of people, white people, especially white women, who claim to be sexually confused in one way or another, because this is the only way that they can find not to be part of the cis, hetero, white supremacist society. They too can then become victims rather than being the normal, healthy women that they should have been born to be. They can say, well, I'm a victim too. I've got, uh, I've got this, uh, I'm oppressed and uh, all my longings have been criminalized. It's a way to escape being responsible for all the terrible things that white people are said to be responsible for. And my guess is that of those 20% of the Gen Zers, my guess is that at least two-thirds of them, maybe more, are women who are claiming not to be heterosexual. They claim to be bi or non or furry or who the heck knows what they are. <laughs> but I think that women, women are more likely to be caught up in all of these fads and being non-hetero is so much a fad that uh, they are more likely to do this. And it's white people. My guess is as a percentage of the population, whites are far more likely to claim to be something strange and confused, certainly than blacks. Because again, this way you cease to be part of the cis-hetero patriarchal white supremacist oppressor class that has made life miserable from everyone since the year dot. This is some kind of escape, but it's a testimony to the kind of burden we lay on the psychology of young white people. Yes. I mean, it's bad enough for people of our age, but if from kindergarten you've taught, you've been taught right from the beginning that you by nature are an oppressor, you by nature are evil. And when in fourth grade you get, you are made to stand up in front of the class and list all the ways in which you are privileged. This go this this has an effect on people. It's surprising to me that there aren't more crazy white people. But I think this sudden surge of people claim to be anything but normal. This is a consequence of the terrible psychological damage we're doing to white people. Yeah, it's an identity. And since we are not allowed to have one, they uh, go right. flock to these other weird things. And you say there's so yes. many subcultures and yeah, furries, there's communities online uh, under the guise of like different video games and or different yes. game, you know, card games. And you go into this and you're just like, whoa, for the most part, uh, I mean, it's not that it's only white people doing this. 
but since white people can't have, <laughs> well, we, we exactly. can, but you know, we're per, you know, it's not really permitted. Yes. It's uh, right. dismissed of us for uh, to have a, an identity as Europeans, as white people. Then well, they go flock you know, to these other things. Yeah, I, I came across something that was brand new to me, and it was people who think that by listening to tapes or watching videos that they can become Asian. Are you familiar with this? I don't think I've heard this one. <laughs> yes, they, they have an acronym for it. It's, it's, it's something like uh, uh, change to another race, uh, uh, C-T-A-R, <laughs> something like that. And inevitably, this is white people who are trying to become Asian. And you can find people who tell you that they really do believe that they listen to these tapes while they're sleeping and the shape of their eyelids begins to change. Some of them claim that even their DNA is becoming Asian. It's the most cuckoo thing you can, you can, oh, here, there we go, race change to another. Boy, you're so quick. How did you do that? You never heard of this and you pop it up on the screen. Yeah, while that's I'm right. RCTA, race change to another. This is some fad. And you've got these influencers on, uh, on, uh, on YouTube telling you, you do this, you listen to this, and you're going to become Asian. Your nose is going to flatten. Your eyelids are going to get an epicanthic fold. And your genes are going to change. Well, what in heaven's cuckoo ball stuff is this? And it is, of course, white people who, as you say, they're not allowed to have a healthy white identity. And this is yet another escape hatch. Those who are probably psychologically in a very unstable position to begin with, they get all of this anti-white pressure and they say, well, okay, I'm just going to turn Japanese or Korean. Yep. It's either Japanese or Korean. Hmm, fascinating. Yeah, yes. it's it's. Incredible. I'm not surprised, uh, but the, the, this one was a new new to me. Uh, Jared, yes. we're just going to take a really quick break here, and we're going to continue in part two. I want to direct people to Amron.com, though. Obviously, we talked about the conference. Uh, you got to make sure you follow Amron on a couple of other places as well. Their Bitchu channel, uh, simply yes. M Renaissance, and then you have their Gab account. I'll have all these linked up uh, below. Gab.com forward slash M Renaissance as well. Now, you also set up a... Um, what is that? Renaissance readings, right on Substack. Yes, yes. This is a new thing. Uh, we have a fellow who is really a professional audio guy. And he does these beautiful readings of our articles. And for people who like to listen uh, while they're doing their workout or their commute, this is a great, great new service that we're offering. But we're very excited about this. And uh, I... You know, when I when I listen to these guys who do these readings, I wonder how do they ever breathe? Because if you've noticed, is this uh, AI? I thought it was AI first. I listened to a couple. No, uh, the, apparently the way they do it is no. There is special software. You read it first, and of course you have to breathe. But then you go through a second time, and you somehow suppress all the inhalations. Ah, okay. And so it, it's not it's not AI the way we would expect. Just do it once, and then somehow all of the inhalations magically disappear. There is a semi-manual process, but the result really is marvelous, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's great for uh, people who yeah. you know these days, right? People don't like to read or they don't have time, and it's convenient. Yes. But no, I, li I yes. like the edition. It, it, it's good. Uh, so yeah. definitely check that out, guys. Uh, that's on yeah, Substack, renaissancereadings.substack.com. And then we have, yeah. of course, uh, the Telegram uh, channel as well. Don't forget to follow them there. Uh, Amron, uh, what is the, uh, Amron Official uh, is the actual handle on uh, Telegram. Yes, uh, we, of course, uh, we have all of these uh, in large part because we were kicked off all of the usual ones, uh, just like you. You had a We're wonderful... still on Twitter. Still on Twitter. That's one thing. I want to ask you about that later, but go, go, go on. <laughs> uh, uh, but you, you had this, you had such a wonderful YouTube channel. You had, in fact, didn't you get their, their little silver 100,000 subscriber yes, award? It's right over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's right uh, over there. I was going to yes. smash it, but I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. You shouldn't do that. It's a, uh, it, it's a memorial to the ancient days of semi freedom of speech on the, on the internet. It's true. Oh, it's true. Because by the time we got 100,000 subscribers, they weren't giving them to people like us. Oh, they so, stopped it then, right? Really? Yes, we oh. got to our 100,000, but no, we didn't get one. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> oh, no, I'm man. very envious. I'm very envious of your <laughs> silver award. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what? I, I, we had we, we were like 330,000 something odd subs That's when we wonderful. were kicked yes. off. And I think if we were allowed to be on and continue and stuff, we'd probably be maybe maybe half a million now, maybe more, who oh, knows, kind of thing. I think if um, you know, if you had still been on 
and they had not tweaked the algorithms to stop oh, recommending. Can you, can you imagine? I you you oh, could yeah. you could have a million subscribers. Same, with, million, same with you guys. Hundred percent. Because people want to hear this message, and and it was going right. it was going down really well. To be honest, before they suppressed yes. it, you know. Yeah. Yes, and they managed. They managed to find us despite all the suppression. Yes, exactly. Mm. No, that's that's a good uh, that's a good uh, tip right there. All right, so Amron.com, folks. We'll have all the links down below. We're just going to take a really quick break, then we'll be back with more Jared Taylor in part two. Thank you so much for watching, everybody. Great having you with us. Hope you enjoyed this part one together with Jared Taylor from American Renaissance. We're going to continue in part two over at RedEyesMembers.com. You can also get a membership over at Odyssey, or you can sign up through Subscribestar, and uh, there you can check out part two coming up here. And it's a great uh, follow-up here, by the way, too. Great uh, part two. We're going to talk more about uh, the total collapse of law and order, the looting, the street takeovers, all this insane stuff that's happening right now. It's on many fronts, of course. We're seeing a intentional, I think at least, collapse of our uh, civilization and society. More and more madness is beginning to uh, strike in the uh, minds of most men and women. So what's happening? Why is this happening? What can we do about it? We actually talked towards the end about uh, what the best course of action is for people like us. What should we do about all of this? Sure, we can identify the problems and to a certain extent you could make the argument because of the insane level of the pushback against us and uh, sanity overall, uh, they are doing the work for us. A lot of our people are waking up. More and more people are finding us and many other outlets such as American Renaissance and many of the other ones out there that do such uh, great work. But at some point, we also have to start uh, offering solutions, right? And, and doing something about that. And we talk about that at the end of the show, community building, basically maintaining and uh, preserving our way of life. So if you're curious, please check out part two together with Jared Taylor right now. RedEyesMembers.com. You can sign up also if you prefer at Odyssey. That's odyssey.com forward slash TV or through subscribestar.com slash redice. It's only 10 bucks a month. Please consider it. Support our work. We don't have any major sponsors or angel investors. We don't have annoying ads in the show. We are 100% viewer and listener supported. If you like what we do, get in there, get a membership as so many others have done and support our work and get access, of course, to all the good stuff that Red Eyes offers, Western Warrior exclusive member shows that we do on Sundays. We also have a part two of many of the interviews that we've done. We have exclusive members videos, good stuff like that, exclusive live streams as well. Check it out. We have uh, thousands and thousands of shows in the archives. It's only 10 bucks a month, but if you get a longer one, it's even less than that. Please consider supporting us. It won't be too much of a hit for you, but it will do tremendous amounts for us so that we can continue doing what we do and keep on growing as well. We also have a plus donation tier for those who want to do a little bit extra, but then we also have our producer and executive producer tiers for those who want to have a shout out at the end of the show, for those who want to suggest topics and guests and things like that, please do consider it. Thank you so much to all our executive producers out there. T. Lothrop Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Like Lap, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, Chalky Milk, French 47, Mark Smith, No One Jeeves, President Obunga, Mongoose, William Fox, Angry White Soccer Mom, The Second Wanderer, Operation Werewolf, The Ride Never Ends, Francis Parker Yaki, Dillbob, we also have Last Place Simp, Joseph Hart, Purple Haze, and JP. Thank you guys. We can't do it without you. Also, thanks to our producers, Mr. Walker, 696, Johansson, Leroy Dumont, Snork Pup, Eyes Open, Mr. Lemry, Urinu, Obadiah Hexwell, Single Action Army, and George Porge. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We can't do this without you. So uh, thank you for being there for us so we can be there for you. If you want to upgrade your membership or get one of those, all the information is on RedEyesMembers.com. Part two right now with Jared Taylor is coming up. Don't miss it. Get in at RedEyesMembers.com. We'll see you there.